This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. How's the week going? Uh, it's going very well. Uh, we have got um, beautiful weather, biking weather every day, so I have many reasons to celebrate, at least seven of them. <laughs> and, seven biking days in a row. <laughs> and who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce Mauricio Navarre, and he is a designer of some 30 years in the design industry uh, and now teaching um, industrial design, including engineering and architecture, and a list as long as my arm um, at university uh, to a range of students. It is a great pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Beautiful New Zealand. Welcome, Mauricio. Where are you, Mauricio? Um, I I live in Blue Mountains, which is a national reserve in, in the outside of Sydney. So if you take uh, the Opera House as a point of reference, I'll be probably 100 kilometers away from uh, to because, the west. Because Sydney's a big place. Uh, yes. Um, at some point, someone thought that it was a good idea to spread everybody. So we have five million or five and a half million people spread uh, through a vast area of land. Uh, and um, that's not very sustainable, isn't it? Yeah. So we drive a lot and um, we talk about train transport, and uh, but train is not very good. So um, uh, commuting is a hassle. So we've been asking people how their bubble life was, and we started out in a like like New Zealand Australia started out in a with a closed door, and they kept that up for as long as possible, and now it's all open and the pandemic's running. How has your bubble life been, and how are things going in the Blue Mountains in Western Sydney? Uh, Blue Mountains is like a, a small community where people know each other and still say hello to each other, even if you don't know each other. Uh, so it's very um, aware, um, but also there, there is a lot of there are a lot of people who are highly educated. Many university teachers, actually, or lecturers, uh, live in the area. People who actually like nature. So um, it's a very community-driven area. Uh, um, Sydney is a little bit different. Uh, when I first came with a contract with my wife. Um, uh, some 30 years ago, it, it, it was the same idea, it, kind of a big town where people who actually didn't know you said hello and we started conversations out of that. But today it has become more impersonal and um, uh, so there are two clear different characters. 
And with COVID, um, you can still see that uh, the difference is that there were a vast areas of Sydney that were on lockdown. Interestingly enough, there is a, a what people call the Café Latte division in Sydney. So what is eastern suburbs, northern suburbs uh, were privileged, uh, while the west and southwest, uh, they were in lockdown. Um, so they are, there were different realities during COVID uh, for many people. And um, interestingly enough, in the areas where COVID came in, had the least uh, percentage of people vaccinated, and it still never went through lockdown. So that, that tells a little bit the story of perhaps privilege on one area and wealth and um, people that were not so well off uh, suffered the brunt of uh, lockdowns. So. Uh- and were you were you working during the pandemic? Were you teaching and researching? Oh, yes, all, all through it. Um, uh, teaching wise, we it, it's an interesting thing about modern time. Modern times uh, for about fifteen or more years, the university was hoping to integrate blended learning and new technologies. Um, uh, as it is natural, many people prefer face to face. But coming uh, coming to COVID in around March 2020, um, 15 or 20 years of pushing and and negotiating the implementation of blended learning came down to two weeks where everybody moved <laughs> into online learning. So it was an interesting wake wake up call for many people, and I believe that universities will not teach the same from now on. Um, so uh, yes, I was working all all through it, but uh, part of my research couldn't be done quite properly because even the campus where my my uh, office was was on lockdown areas. I knew the passport could come in, <laughs> so my research uh, suffered. So the, my laboratory was basically I couldn't come in. So, are you back on campus now? Uh, yes, everything face to face this year. Um, somehow, COVID is. Um, everybody talks about post COVID, and COVID is over. And, uh, uh, to me, it's hard to believe because of um, experts say that we have uh, we will have to endure COVID for the next two to ten years. So, uh, one is the politics of COVID, and um, we need to keep business going. The other one is the health issues of COVID. I guess. You mentioned how teaching might not go back to to normal. Do you think that yeah. has it affected has it affected design? Uh, yes, to a point, because of during two years, students couldn't actually do uh, the workshop, enter the workshops. Uh, basically, you learn design by making. Uh, so you need to get your hands dirty. And um, obviously not having the capacity to go into the workshop and play with things and um, make things and destroy them, which is our way of actually getting to better things. Uh, you you fail, fail your test, your prototypes. Obviously, that that became a little bit abstract for two years of um, the study. So now that we are back um, in my precise university, we just launched a building that should have launched a year or two ago, which is the Paramata Engineering Innovation Hub where basically we are is highly equipped with um, technology. We have workshops and 3D printers and the usually high standards that you would expect and is meant for engineering, architecture and industrial design. So we are in our element. The issue is how far are we going to go without recognizing that um, COVID is around. Um, 
because at some point we need to pay the bills. So um, uh, someone at the top will have to think about that. Hopefully things are back to normal between inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it is a normal or is it a new normal? Um, everybody would like it to be like it was 1999, or we should say 2099. Uh, but um, no, I, I think I think things are different. Um, uh, in 1999, like in the song, uh, we didn't think think much about sustainability. We it was um, especially in developed countries. It was a, there were societies of luxury and abundance, and we need to start measuring ourselves in in many respects. So. Um, and the case of teaching, um, basically, I believe electronic delivery um, isn't here to stay. So we will need to somehow learn how to sort out uh, what is best in one way or another. And um, that, that is an issue that also relates to my own research, which is uh, the digitalization of design and prototyping and visualization. So um, design education and design research and design innovation is highly related to uh, what you do. And if uh, more and more um, software and algorithms can actually uh, do even some prototype testing that um, you don't do physically, you do it later. And in that way, you save a lot of amount of money, but you can uh, implement some simulations, uh, some uh, scenarios that uh, could be even dangerous in real life. And uh, you can test it all visually with visual reality or the larger word that uh, is, is mentioned today, which is extended reality, which is uh, comprising kind of an umbrella for augmented, mixed and visual reality. So that is one area of my research that I'm developing for some time. And it has been a kind of a very interesting to see that in the design field in international conference conferences, that is taking a little bit of uh, momentum at the moment. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Paul Kelly, Sleep Australia Sleep. There is a fantastic version on the pub of the pub choir of this, but we're yes. not allowed to play that, so we're going for the studio version. Why this one? Um, well, Paul Kelly, for uh, to me, who are I came to Australia thirty or more years ago, but I'm still considering myself like a like a migrant. Once you leave a country and you move to another. You belong nowhere and you belong everywhere. Uh, and Paul Kelly was uh, has been very meaningful to me and my wife um, in the sense of understanding uh, Australians and the way of they think and believe things. So there is a working class Australia. There is a rock class, rock and roll class, if you want to call it. But uh, the interesting thing on Paul Kelly is that he is a merge of uh, something that is everyday men to a high level of sophistication and poetry. And he's a very uh, high intellectual from my point of view. So um, uh, his uh, thinking concerning this song, he merged into a lullaby, a, a large cry for sustainability in a country that he still believes is a uh, first world country living in abundance and we don't have to care about the climate or what is going to happen in planet Earth. So it's a very kind of interesting play uh, when he sings a lullaby and actually he means he means something quite deep. Uh, sleep, Australia, sleep. The night is on the creek. Shut out the noise all around. 
Sleep, Australia, sleep And dream of counting sheep Jumping in fields colored brown Who rocked the cradle and cried Who rocked the cradle and cried Sleep, Australia, sleep As off the cliff the kingdoms leap Count them as they say goodbye Count down the little things The insects and birds Count down the bigger things The flocks and the herds Count down our rivers Our pastures and trees But there's no need to hurry Oh, sleep now, don't worry Cause it's only a matter of degrees Fog, Australia, fog Just like the boiling frog As we go, we won't feel a thing a gift in teaching and at the moment uh, it seems that so many of our young people are struggling with their ability to think into the future. How do you help them to get past that? Because the the work you're doing is all about that. It's all about the future. How do you help them to get past that barrier, those those many barriers that they have between themselves and the future? Uh, That is, Mawera, that is a very interesting question. if you look at, for example, in Australia, but in developed countries, um, there have been a regression concerning the capacity to envisage future by younger generations. And 
you can see that since um, the baby boomers onwards. Yeah? Um, um, now I'm teaching to uh, students that are generation set, and very soon I will, I will start teaching uh, whatever is the next generation. And um, um, there are studies, uh, for example, the PISA studies from Europe that actually tell that uh, uh, some develop, uh, developed countries, in this case Australia, doesn't matter if you actually are a top performer, still your knowledge concerning science, engineering, technology, mathematics and arts is going down. Doesn't matter if you're a top five performer or low performer. Um, in comparison, curiously enough, with the developing nations. So the developing nations are hungry. They are starving for, for new knowledge. And um, they are making the most that they can make. So the question is how to actually take students out of um, checking Snapchat and TikTok and um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, instant picture in a sense. Because as you know, they, all these fa Facebook is too old for them. Yeah. If I talk Facebook for them, they say, "Oh, that is my granddad or or my dad's uh, social media uh, or networking app." Um, the, the issue is how to uh, channel their understanding on what they do. Um, and they, 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 that is a big challenge. I don't deny it. I don't deny it. I, I teach um, this year. I have, for example, about 150, 160 students in first year. And um, many, many students in design and careers that are about innovation, um, they tend to feel sometimes that the burden is too much and they try to go to something that is easier to digest. And um, um, the only thing that I can say is that I apply um, my approach from the industry. I run my unit, my subjects as a design studio firm. And as such, uh, I tell them since day one that they are not students, but they are professional in training in the first day of my class, the first year. Uh, many of them, they come with a high school mentality. And in Australia, there is a big variety of high school uh, models, uh, some that actually spoon feed students uh, to death, uh, others that are more proactive. Um, and in my case, I, uh, if I tell them that they are professional in training, they have to own their learning. And uh, the tutorials become a place like a production meeting where they come with the work uh, during the week. Doesn't matter if they have not have much of a background uh, doing this kind of stuff. They very quickly wake up to my my system. So it's about a little bit, a bit, a little bit of um, a strict, but also understanding that uh, a creative industries require them to own their learning and to produce their learning, not just sit back and. A kind of a get the a kind of being fed through the through the vein whatever knowledge is yeah uh, they, they are not passive patients they, they are active patients in, in a sense yeah they are not comatose in, in coma or anything like that yeah? because many they come and sit and you you look at them and you think these guys are checking uh, their iPhones more than looking at so um, as a joke before when Facebook was the um, with was the fashion the students usually asked me to be part of facebook so when i wanted to, their attention i sent them an email for through facebook to say hey look at the screen in front of you and then we walk up and and, and say, oh we need to look at the screen but also is um 
the method is about going back to the basics, going back to Socrates with critics and, and to Bauhaus, uh, that 100 years ago resurrected critical thinking together with a, a, a school of social sciences from Frankfurt um, that basically they proposed critical theory, but uh, in design that became critical theory, theory through making this stuff. So am, am I giving you an answer to, to That's uh, a great answer. If you, if you were to go and teach a classroom full of five and six-year-old children, the, your future children, so these are the ones that you're going to get again when they get to 20, when they come to your university, what's the one thing that you want to teach them when they're five or six that's that, that they will then develop and continue to develop until you see them again? Actually, uh, what you're talking about is an interesting question because my wife and I volunteering community uh, work in one of the poorest areas of Sydney. Uh, basically, it's the poorest area of Sydney. And um, we work with children, the preschoolers. And I would like to tell you one thing. It is easier to teach children that have been um, before formal education um, I remember Picasso said that uh, uh, said that uh, he learned creativity before going to school, and then he started de-learning <laughs> until he got out. Uh, and that is not the first person saying that. So uh, when they come to university, the students have an idea about what education should be, that they need to be very formal and um, very serious. Um, however, with preschoolers, you can give them freedom to play and experiment. So that is because it is before they go through the process of schooling, yeah? uh, the process of um, uh, maybe uh, putting their frame, uh, the, their head through kind of some kind of a um, compressor or something. Yeah? It's uh, assessment, isn't it? It's the assessment process. As soon as your creativity is measured against someone else's idea of what is an acceptable standard and, and things become right or wrong, what does that do to creativity? Yeah, that is a big thing. And, and then again, quoting Picasso, he said that he spent all his life trying to become, uh, to go back to when, before he went to school. Um, so the, the other secret that I've got with the students uh, that I teach at the university is that they have to free themselves up from a, a notion that they are a serious. They need to be serious because they are at university. This is a serious case because it's going to be your job. And they need to rediscover that the best designers or innovators are those that are, never lose the playfulness in their life. They never look, they never lose the capacity to look at things with new eyes like a child. And um, it takes time. It takes time to check them off uh, the serious office worker kind of approach to things. Um, um, so your, your question is very easily answered. Uh, they are before they go through the formatting <laughs> of the practice. So you, you can actually take them from there. And if they are um, preschoolers are more willing to experiment and they don't take failure as failure. They take failure as part of the process of learning. And if you are playful with them, they, they say, well, what is the next challenge? And they go for it. Yeah. It's, uh, if they fall down, if they fall, they just stand up and they keep running. It's like they are made out of rubber. It's incredible. It's, um, they bounce back very quickly in a, in, in a sense. So um, am I giving you kind of an answer concerning that? A perfect answer. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. 
Kia ora koutou, nga mihi aroha nui kia koutou, kotahohau. I have all having to be beautiful superstars and beloved universes, and I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around this journey, we're all on to just proving to be very real, very sustained, and illuminating for you and what who you are. The triumph of nature's perfect, unique, and he making things be. Thank you. Now I know that for all of us, this road that we've been travelling on has shifted and moved beneath our feet, taken us in unexpected direction, and we've had to find so many new ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling to navigate the obstacles that have risen in our path. And I hope that for you, and I hope for all of us, you can look back and see how far we've come, how bravely we've continued, and feel a sense of real accomplishment and pride and compassion for ourselves and one another that we have come far together. I know that for me there's been so much learning over this time and as I find my way back to a semblance of my previous life, being able to interact with beautiful rangatahi, young people again, but really people of all ages. It's wonderful to be able to do this work with the public again my heart's home, Orokanui and beyond. And I was so grateful and so blown away by the school group I had today. And they were from Sawyer's Bay School, a local school. Many of the children had come to Orokanui over the years as eco-warriors from Port Chalmers Kindergarten. And they had so many memories, so much knowledge to share of their special experience there as part of their tūraka waiwai and their sense of place, their, their home their sense of belonging and so many of them remembered how to call to the birds and special places in the forest and other parts of the sanctuary where they had had amazing experiences for and of course for me this means so much so i really hope for you that as these old ways of being return that there can be this real sense of joy and this real sense of love and connection to those precious parts of your life of course there are parts that are still yet to return and may not return in the form that we knew them but may appear in different forms whilst able to evoke the same feeling and of course this is happening for me by being able to communicate and and learn remotely and online but also in teaching in different ways i was driving today on very special road for me, Portobello Road, which runs alongside the sea. It used to lead its way to my home when I lived in Broad Bay as a little girl. Then, of course, I drove that road to go to the airport and fly to the UK, then returned and lived in Portobello, and now, of course, drive that road to Nafano and special places. The road itself has changed so much. Of course, that way of, of travelling has been there for hundreds of years, but the road itself has been sealed and widened and many houses built on either side trees planted trees felled but the road itself is heading in the same direct same destination and i think we can all understand this as we navigate and journey together now and i hope that we can feel that there's so much to look forward to so much awaiting us will be a gift to enjoy and I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks. Kahiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Mauricio Navoa. Mauricio, the theme of this show is positive but not deluded. And you're talking before about 
sustainability and the challenge that designers can become bewildered or be become feel that the burden is too much. But then you also talked about that need to look with a child's eyes. And there's also a question of, do they believe that somehow that magic can happen, that, that they can design their way out of anything? So sustainability doesn't matter. We'll just design this technology to fix it. Where is the sweet spot of that positive, but also having a sort of a critical realism? <laughs> okay, it's straight to the heart of an industrial designer. <laughs> um, look, uh, um, I was talking with the, some of my friends in architecture co- in the architecture course the other day, and um, we were thinking that the traditional way of teaching design and architecture was, uh, for example, yes, I'll give you the example in architecture, um, uh, four years of study to prepare the iconic uh, building. Yeah. So just to give an example, you go to architecture in Australia, and the parallel would be um, after four years, you will do the next Sydney Opera House. Yeah. Iconic. They forget to tell the students that they there is an opera house already, and maybe there is not a space for a second Sydney Opera House in, in, in that area. Yeah, and the, the reality is that many architects and designers is the same end up doing a lot of paperwork in their lives. And maybe eighty percent of the time is paperwork, and then maybe ten percent is the star account or design that you are going to have in your life. Uh, so, um, in design schools, there is a lot of uh, promotion of creativity and. I have seen lecturers, even I was one a student at the time when lecturers uh, said, just go and be creative because creativity is unlimited. And that goes to to, to answer your question. Um, we are, I went to study in the 1980s um, to university. I mean. uh, at that time, there was not such a big understanding about sustainability issues. Um, today, uh, a number of years later, um, we realized that in industrial design, for example, out of the things that you see in everyday life, an industrial designer has been in the process somehow. And then you can think and realize that probably 90% of the industrial design products out there basically are in the rubbish bin before six months. This is a statistic, real statistics globally. So only 10% or less, or less maybe 5%, stays in use and is adopted by a, a buyer at some point. So one thing would be that creativity has got a limit. And somehow in this century, especially, we need to refocus and redefine what creativity is. Um, we need to become a little bit Japanese and, uh, and Zen in the sense that less is more. Yeah. Um, and especially in first world countries, we need to do that um, because we have done a lot of crap. That That is the reality. Um, so the, the point would be that uh, if we change the framework concerning what creativity is, um, maybe we could enable ways to actually be creative and save the planet. So there, there are a number of um, initiatives nowadays uh, about refocusing things. Um, uh, even for, uh, I'll give you an example. One hero of mine is uh, his name is Donald Norman. He invented the word user-centered design, and then he went against it because he realized that his invention was really about treating users as consumers at the end of the 
production chain. So he came up about maybe 20 years or a little bit more with the word human-centered design because we need to respect the, the user. And besides, by the year 2000, most users were highly educated and they could take uh, decisions on their hands and do their own designs, especially today. Uh, so the question is, how do you revalue design and innovation? Uh, last year, in 2021, a very interesting uh, progress concerning creativity and there is in Europe what uh, in Europe it was launched what is called the green um, agenda yeah? the green Bauhaus Bauhaus is a school of design that actually made a difference between before and after 100 years ago so it went design went from being an, a, an act of craftsmanship for luxury that only rich people could pay to massification of products to democratize design in a sense which is something that many people don't pay my much attention about that. Um, most people think Bauhaus, modernism, simple lines, and they stay with the look of it, but not the real power of Bauhaus, which was a democratization movement of um, artifacts and functions and systems. Um, last year, interestingly enough, as I said, in year 2021, there is this launch uh, in Europe concerning the Green Bauhaus, where very recently they are saying that even human-centered design is not good enough because uh, part of the, the problems that we have created concerning sustainability is that we are concentrating on humans, but not the planet Earth. So uh, the new thing that they are pushing for is living-centered design, including everything that is alive in the process. Now, that hasn't got to Australia at least quite yet. I don't know if in New Zealand that is the case, but it basically these are recent development and developments. And in my case, personally coming from third world countries uh, like Chile, I was born in there. I'm very aware that you can do a lot with very little. So my approach to design has always been the opposite of creating things for abundance and luxury. And I'm not a person that goes uh, for that. Is That's why I'm interested in areas like the future of cities, but also the global south, because um, we have a situation, uh, and Samuel, you were talking about the new normal. The new normal is that you don't have the haves and have-nots of the developed and in development countries anymore. Um, you have a China that is still considered in development and is a superpower contending with United States. Uh, you have India that is coming that way. They belong to what is called the BRICS countries together with Brazil um, and Russia. And basically we're in a situation of redefining boundaries, redefining frameworks. But I think from the design point of view it's interesting to think about in a self-human-centered design, to think living-centered design. And um, uh, that is going to actually change, if not today, in the near future, things like for example industrial design. Um, uh, industrial design was uh, I still remember the times when I made my livelihood out of the markup on each product. So mass manufacturing was the way to go. Um, but that was in the 1980s and 90s. Nowadays, um, an iPhone actually comprises so many different things that were different objects before, from typewriter to fax machine to a the postman doesn't come around my house anymore with the exception of bringing parcels because of basically letters 
who writes letters anymore? Yeah, uh, only if you are romantic, yeah, uh, doing poetry, maybe. That. But uh, the issue for industrial design would be that industrial design is becoming digital, and the concept of a, a living center design, we need to actually connect it with transforma- transformation design, which is about transforming services, transforming systems, and also transition design that is very much pushed by a big designers, I'm just a small fish, but it's about a, how are we going to change behavior in a systemic level to save the planet or alternatively to leave a legacy uh, after the species disappears which is the other side of the coin so a tran- there is going to be a transition, we cannot avoid it but we need to actually stop, it change gears, turn left or right, doesn't matter which one is the best way and, and actually thinking the planet, human are very arrogant in a way, thinking that it should be human-centered design. Um, we need to think living-centered design. In a way. And I don't know if I'm giving you an answer uh, to your question, Samuel. You are indeed. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to mm-hmm. squeeze in the second of your music choices. Let's have the Cat Empire, the Chariot. Why this one? Uh, one in as an homage to a group that is splitting this year. So the Cat Empire is um, very a, very much a representative group from Australia that they started playing in Australia and Victoria. And then, for example, they went to Cuba and they said that when they arrived in Cuba, they realized that they didn't know music until they met the people in Cuba. And so uh, now they do a star, they do a number of things, uh, a little bit jazzy music, but um, somehow they represent the multiculturalism of this country, the best part of it. Uh, And uh, in a sense, the the song that I selected is because of um, uh, the, the, the lyrics. Um, and they talk about the way of actually being activists uh, in uh, through music, but I think that touches a lot on design and creativity in general. Um, because on one part in design, we do things by make, we create change by making things. On the other thing, um, the challenge we have here requires like a um, romantic poetry yeah, to change things. It, it, it's, a, it's an act of that we don't know whether we will be successful, but you need to be a poet, an artist, thinking in the future to believe that you, you can do it, that naivety of thinking that you can change the future somehow. So uh, I think the, the, that song represents them, this, uh, the group that is splitting, and I'm going to miss them. But also a little bit tells the story of any creative person. Break 
break down our party landmine women That's so sexy, they explode us with their looks Are we blowing up some speakers jumping round till the grass shook Our missiles, they were the road trips that we launched A trip tripping cross this silence, start emissions at the break of dawn Yawn and smile, say what direction shall we take? Somewhere where it warm and wet, this bit of route we'd always take and Our weapons were our instruments Made from a timber and steel We never yielded to conformity But stood like kings In a chariot that's riding on a record
changes in society over the last two years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? <laughs> um, I, I, that is a good question. I think um, the last two years have been a humbling experience for the human race, or it should be. Yeah. Some, somehow, Gaia, yeah, the, or Pachamama, if you think in, in Latin American terms, uh, the Mother Earth, is actually shaking up humans and saying, hey, you're not as big and so superman and superwoman as you thought you were. Um, how can it be that a little virus that uh, is in very intelligent because it multiplies quicker than us can put us in a position of a stop in a whole planet and economy, a global economy? Um, so that uh, that is a reality check, and hopefully we we are not the usual humans that f- we forget and we try to go back to what we did before. Um, um, in that humbling experience that, or process that we should go, uh, I think. Uh, um, it should affect everything from manufacturing, which is closer to my field, uh, but also to politics. Um, I, what is happening with Russia um, at the moment, in, to me, it means that some people don't wake up and smell the roses. But, but also in the southern hemisphere, um, also in Australia, for example, we are going now into elections very soon. So people are waiting that the prime minister will call for elections at any minute this week. Um, Still, we think that uh, by by, uh, mining carbon, uh, we will get through it. And if other people don't do anything like we should do, because we we will sacrifice our abundance and comfortable living, without understanding that if we don't do it, we'll suffer even worse. So um, humans are are not that intelligent. We have some intelligent people among us. Uh, I recognize that. But uh, as a race, we tend to be a little bit uh, ineffective in a way. Um, and uh, hopefully what it sticks is the humility uh, uh, concerning that um, we are making big, big impact in the planet. And this is the only planet that we've got. Um, so it's, it's like shooting yourself in the foot in it, uh, and enjoying it. Uh, somehow, I, I sincerely don't understand humans. Sometimes, I when Mawera was uh, talking about her dog before, I, I sincerely believe believe dogs are far more intelligent than humans. Sometimes, um, but the the other thing is that uh, we need to change process. Um, we cannot continue with the wasteful processes that we had before. And, uh, um, other things would be that. Uh, we need to think that changing processes, uh, professions will change. Um, for example, industrial design, there are people that are talking digital industrial design today, and uh, some people are very averse to that because that is not the way we do things. Um, in the reality, many professions, um, people say this is the way it has been for a long time, and that doesn't apply to industrial design only. It applies to many professions. Uh, I don't know an architect or I don't know an engineer that builds exactly the same as the similar colleagues built uh, 20 or 30 years ago. Um, so, however, we may say that tradition stays, and that is an understanding that we need to get. Tradition to stay tradition needs to change, otherwise the new generations don't understand it and they don't link to it. So tradition is not something that is like written in the Bible. Even the Bible is, is has been read and understood in different ways through the centuries. So tradition is not something that is 
politics like stone forever. Yeah? Uh, traditions change because it's a matter of convention. And um, hopefully we are more agile about this kind of <laughs> things because of um, we may have um, some professions that they stick around, but all, like any other professions, in talking about my field and all fields, um, basically they are overcome by new professions. So it's better to think in transformation than in actually sticking with what we knew before COVID. That is a great uh, wake-up call, I think. Um, and that applies to many, many things. Um, the other part would be um, the issue of uh, the power play between North and South, if we still can apply to Global South and Global North. Uh, we have Eastern Europe that could, there are some places that could fit with Global South. Even in the United States, we have people that, uh, a friend of mine in San Francisco told me that at Apple and the other big kind of high-tech companies, there were cleaners coming in that they couldn't afford even an iPhone while they were cleaning the Apple Center there. So you have this mixing of realities that are not divided by geography anymore. They are divided by access. And that is going to actually uh, have a great impact on society as a whole. They have, I have nods uh, concerning knowledge, production of knowledge, but also diffusion of knowledge is, is greater than before. Um, people in San Francisco connect better with counterparts in Europe than connect with people in the next suburb, in the next town. Um, and that is something that we need to realize and somehow uh, develop systems that uh, and those are political, those are administrative, those are different ways of uh, different systems that actually will level up opportunities and give opportunities to to many people. Um, sustainability is not an issue of uh, whether I can put pay for solar cells. It's an issue of access and uh, equality, and, and um, equality goes global. So uh, very soon we will see that some countries that used to be in development will be more and are already more competitive than countries that I believe they are developed. Uh, so we need to, we're going to rewrite history now. And um, I'm passionate about that because of, um, I believe that design is not just about making one object. Uh, design is about solving people's challenges and life. So uh, inevitably you drop politics uh, on that. Uh, design is politics in a sense. So um, an object is just a manifestation of a number of uh, meanings that can go as simple as the juicer where you actually put your orange for the juice in the morning, but that is also representing a whole system uh, of thinking and uh, a, a kind of establishment behind it. And we need to own that before industrial designers they just thought about just making a juicer or a coffee maker. And, and I think that is a very limited way of looking at things. I have some questions to end the show. Sorry to interrupt because we've almost got negative time. So we're going to have to really rattle through these. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, been alive. <laughs> I don't have COVID. <laughs> we are writing uh, a book. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you're in that team. What's your superpower? Superpower. <laughs> um, I'm trying to become humble. Trying to be the best at becoming humble. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. Um, do, you consider, do you consider yourself to be an activist? Uh not as much as my heroes, but yes, if you look at my context, um, I have become a little bit of an activist. Yeah. 
over yeah. the years since I was born back in Chile under uh, a dictatorship, yes. So you told us that Navoa is new. You're a new person every day. So what motivates you every day? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, helping people. Yeah. Um, I think money is a byproduct of what you do. Hopefully you do it well. And um, hopefully you made something good for someone. Um, uh, I'm tired of um, professional ex- professional excellence if that is measured about how much money you've got. I'm tired of that. What is the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, I'm interested in uh, redefining uh, boundaries for design uh, professionally. Um, that's why I'm, I'm, I am investigating new systems uh, through digitalization uh, to the level that you can create products that later on you decide whether they are going to be just better to go digital or physical. So I think that is an area of development, especially for industrial design. Uh, and that is why I'm investigating visual reality and um, ex- extended reality as a whole. Um, I'm interested in changing the uh, conversation from uh, artificial intelligence to augmented intelligence, so technology to serve humans and nature. And um, the other part would be to um, uh, somehow leave a legacy that helps all the people after I go, I think. Um, I don't know what is that shape yet, but I'm trying to work through my students and, and also through the work that I do. Working through students is a pretty good way of leaving a legacy. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? <laughs> um Try to enjoy life, but be humble uh, again and listen. Listen to people. Ma- many professionals uh, they like to be listened. Uh, they need an audience. Um, uh, try not to play the system as it was before COVID or last century. Um, we are entering very difficult times, so we need to be positive about change um, and um, think that humans are not necessarily the most important uh, thing in the universe. Uh, we are we're important, of course, uh, but. Uh, we can do more for other people, and, um, especially developing countries. And there is a lot of uh, things to gain by looking into technology and how to uh, help uh, technology diffusion into upcoming countries and societies. And with that, building knowledge uh, and help them to build their own knowledge, their own interpretation about culture, their own inter- inter- interpretation about profession, identity, and so on. Um, I think we we. Still still are too much thinking that someone told us how things are done. We have the freedom to actually make a new interpretation of things. And, and that is something that is happening now after 100 years of someone telling us that there is an order of top and down and bottom and develop and not develop. It's an opportunity. We need to take it. Thank you for that. Moera. Mauricio, thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you for your wisdom uh, and for the work that you do with your learners. We have appreciated it so much. And we could have made three shows out of your corridor today. It's been <laughs> a real pleasure and um, and keep up the good work. Thanks for the work you do. Moera, hopefully we meet in different circumstances. Let's go out to Herbie Hancock, Sunriser. Hopefully you like Herbie Hancock, uh, guys, because of that song is called Sombrisa, Smile. And he captured such an easy thing to disappear, a gesture of happiness. So it's a small, it's a small piano lesson on how to capture emotions. So.
You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Wynn, as always, Bay Dunedin, with Mwira Karatai in Fakatani, and we've been joined from the Blue Mountains in Western Sydney by Mauricio Novoa. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.